Hey team, it's Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix, where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. It's Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. This is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Seattle-based rowing evangelists and entrepreneurs, Jason Oliver and Kevin Goyana. We chatted with them about learning to row as adults, finding the silver lining in COVID quarantine, Jason's inspiring rowing video montages, and how Kevin's relationship with the famous check-in method of whiteboards and magnets led him to develop iCrew, a system that improves the efficiency of boathouse operations and communications now sold all over the world. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at our website, steadystatenetwork.com. You can also subscribe to the Steady State Podcast on Podbean and Apple iTunes. And I'm really excited to tell folks about our Changemaker Scholarship for up-and-coming rowers, coaches, coxswains, referees, or organizational staffers. Do you have a fresh perspective and vision for the future of rowing? We're offering Changemaker Scholarships to help develop leaders in the rowing community. Yes, Tara, we are proud to award six awesome people scholarships to attend U.S. Rowing's 2020 Annual Convention, coming up December 8th through 12th, 2020. The application deadline is November 24th, so apply today on our website. We really miss hanging out with people, so we decided to team up with Seize the Oar Foundation and RowSource to host a free virtual happy hour to close out day three of the U.S. Rowing Annual Convention on December 10th. Doors will open at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. Stay tuned for more info, and we can't wait to see you there. And save the date, we're also co-hosting a para-rowing global meetup on December 15th with Seize the Oar Foundation. This is for para-rowers, coaches, and fans around the world. Follow our socials for more information. All right, let's get to it. On this week's episode, we're spending time with some real visionaries of our sport. Today, we're talking with Will Ruth, Blake Gorley and Joe Delito, founders of Science of Rowing, a resource for coaches and rowers of all levels. So each month, these guys, Will, Blake, and Joe, scour academic journals for research on rowing training and performance, and then deliver summaries and key takeaways from the most relevant articles. Their follow-up roundtables and supporting video and content is designed to help rowers move knowledge into application. All right. Welcome, guys. You can unmute yourselves now hi morning thanks for having us on we really want to pick your brains training for rowing and your passions about mobility and biomechanics but first we actually really want to know what got each one of you into rowing in the first place so will what's your rowing story i come from a a family of rowers actually uh my grandfather on my mom's side was the first one to to pick up an oar um and then the rest of us all sort of followed in his footsteps. So I've had my dad, my mom, uncles, cousins, pretty much everybody in my family has rowed at some point. So it was just a matter of time until I grabbed an oar too. Uh, I got the chance when I was in Olympia, Washington, uh, moved there for high school and started rowing there my freshman year um, for junior rowing. And then 
thought I wanted to go college, realized I was five, eight, maybe didn't want to do the whole, the whole lightweight grind for another four years. Um, and so I went to college at Western Washington university instead majored in kinesiology, but was out of rowing. Um, and then ended up my way back to rowing as a strength coach for the team, uh, during my senior year. So then I stayed, stayed there for another five years and, and enjoyed Northwest life and coaching there. Joe, what about you? So I started rowing in the summer of fifth grade in the summers. It was at, uh, Bentner Viking Rowing Club in New Jersey. Um, and it was something I think my parents were looking for me to do. I wasn't doing a ton of sports at that, at that point in my life. Um, so I was a little bit, you know, lazy uh, and inactive. And I think they were at that time a little bit concerned about making sure I was staying healthy and not, not putting on too much weight. Um, so they wanted me to, to pick up a sport and do something uh, that was getting me outside and uh, also making making friends. Uh, so continue with that in the summers and then picked it up uh, my freshman year in high school, wrote all four years uh, in high school, and then went to GW for undergraduate. Uh, did my undergraduate degree there, wrote all four years, and then went up to Syracuse University, spent three years as a graduate assistant men's rowing coach for the men's team. Um, and then after that, coached in the upstate New York region for some clubs um, and masters in the area, and then have kind of hopscotched my way across the, the U.S. going from Syracuse, New York, to Providence, Rhode Island, to now Kansas City, Missouri, and um, you know, continue to work with rowing, working with Portugal the last two years, uh, so doing some international work, and then working full-time in a, a hospital uh, setting at a performance center and rehabilitation center, so working with physical therapists. So many different sports, not rowing. Actually, rowing is probably the one that I don't see at all during my, my daily uh, work, but that's kind of snapshot of me real quick. A lot of things just like set off some bells for me because I have a lot of connections to a lot of the things you just said because I went to Syracuse University and graduated from there. Oh, awesome. I'm only five, two and a half. So Tara hears me talk about this all the time that like it took me a, a while to kind of find my place as a rower at my side. But being at Syracuse, um, I remember wanting to join the team, the rowing team, and nobody told me like I could join as a coxswain. They were just like, you're too small. And that was, that was the end of the conversation. But in the last year or a few years, I've kind of checked back in with the team just to see like what's going on. And I have this like daydream of someday getting in a boat with people from Syracuse and an alumni oh, boat. Go orange, right? Go orange. Yeah. Right, go orange. Uh, Blake, what about you? Where are you coming from? What's your rowing story? Um, yeah, so I actually knew nothing about rowing and a, a family friend kind of forced me to try it. Um, <laughs> and I'm really happy they did because it, it obviously completely shaped my life. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here working on rowing projects. Um, and I, I ended up sticking with it for four years in high school, um, had the opportunity to be recruited to um, UC Berkeley. Um, unfortunately I got injured my, my first semester. Um, but that also ended up leading to a, a passion in terms of like injury prevention or injury reduction. Um, and just how science and movement can actually improve the sport of rowing. And that, that led me to, you know, get experience. So I coached nine years in high school, um, high school rowing. I spent two years coaching, um, at the collegiate level for Santa Clara university. I've just educated myself, got a master's degree in this, and because it's just a passion for me, and it's because of, 
what I experienced in the sport of rowing and how it impacted me. Do you mind if we talk about the injury uh, just a little bit? I'm, I'm a little curious. Is, um, is it an injury that occurred while you were rowing that freshman year in college? Um, it's hard to say exactly what the cause was. I, I think it was, I think it was overuse and I think it was that I had been rowing so long poorly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I actually, I, I look back and I found some old pictures of me rowing in high school and I saw, I saw my spine and I was like, okay, that's probably why it happened. And it probably didn't happen freshman year at Cal. You know, it probably happened over time and it ended up being, uh, I fractured my vertebrae so it can actually slip. Um, so they did give me the option of, you know, doing shots and, and, and all these things. And they did say that I could continue to row. Um, but at the end of the day, like that didn't seem right to me. And I was in so much pain and it was like, it was a five month process. I saw five different doctors and it was, it was kind of a transition time for me. Um, and so I got out of the sport of rowing for a while. And then I realized like, I want to do something that actually helps people. One of the things, since we were talking about heights earlier, uh, Blake, you're what, six foot, six foot seven. Nice. Yeah. So the camera, the camera takes off a a few inches on, on the (laughs) the webcam, but, uh, but I think that's really common. That's one of the things we've talked about, uh, is like the, the tall high school rower who ends up shouldering a lot of the load of the boat just because how things are rigged and how, and how lineups work out. So, I mean, technical factors, but also like the kind of, the kind of mileage and load that that rower is exposed to throughout the early time rowing. I think that um, I teach learn to row for master. So the sort of adult grown up equivalent of that is, you know, someone who hasn't exercised in months, if not years, and decides to come and learn rowing and teaching those proper mechanics and, you know, everybody who says, oh, I like my big arms, I, I'd make a great rower. And you're like, no, it's, that's, that's not what we're doing. But I have a question. Can you tell us your credentials? Because I think you guys have a lot of education behind what you do. We might need to run overtime for Blake's, but my, mine are pretty straightforward. I have, a, I have a bachelor's in kinesiology, a master's in sport coaching, uh, a certified strength conditioning specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association and U.S. Rowing Level 2. Blake, Blake you want to get out of the way? <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> we got all day, Blake. We got all day. <laughs> um, we'll keep it simple. I, I have a master's degree in sports performance. Um, I have over 10 certifications it, within the sports performance realm. So like ranging from mobility, strength to, to conditioning. Yeah, I have my own business um, where I train mostly adult clients. I have, I have athletes as well. And it's probably about 50% rowers that I work with. Joe? So my undergrad degree was in uh, sport event and hospitality management. And then my master's degree was in new media management. Uh, so I actually started off professionally working in uh, business development and marketing and quickly figured out how much I missed a team and being around athletes. Um, so kind of reset, recalibrated and pursued the CSCS through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And then it was just over the last you know decade or so of certifications and online courses and networking and continuing education, uh, a lot in person experience, but out of the trio of us, uh, I'm not formally educated in a, in a science degree. You guys are being really humble. Like there's no humble bragging, which is really nice. We'll be sure though, to mention, um, all of your businesses and link, uh, link to you guys from, um, our website and social medias so people can find you. We are wondering what some of your earliest memories are. 
So I know I have some, like a really traumatic, like first regatta experience. So um, Joe, can you tell us a little bit, like what is your earliest regatta memory? Probably the one that comes to mind after asking me that question is my senior year uh, at Mainland, my high school. We went down, I think like around spring break or something uh, for, at the time, I think it was the Cherry Blossom Invitational, which was the, the GW Invitational in Washington, D.C. And at that time, they actually had high schools that were part of the regatta, not just colleges. Um, and we went down and we ended up racing. Um, anyway, that, that team went on to win Stotesbury and Nationals that year and then went on it, went to Henley. And we ended up um, coming from behind uh, over the 2K and uh, beat them in the last like five, 600 meters. And so that's probably the race I remember most from, from uh, my early days of rowing. Um, I think, I think it would be um, at Southwest Championships my freshman year. Um, we, we were like really proud of our freshman boat. We were performing well, well all year and we were chasing Marin. So if anyone knows Las Gatos versus Marin, it, it, at least when I rode, it was a, it was a big rivalry. Um, so we were chasing them all year. We were always really close. Um, and we were just so proud of our freshman boat. And that same year, I actually randomly got mono, and people call it the kissing disease, but I definitely did not get it that way. Um, <laughs> so I ended up being out for three months, and I ended up being able to come back and make that freshman boat. Um, and I just remember being so proud of what we put in that, that year. Um, and it was just a battle down that race course. And unfortunately, we ended up losing by a second. Um, but we were still just like so happy with our accomplishment that year and, and, and being so close. And um, I think when I look back at my experiences, I think less about the, the races and more about just the time and the friendships and loyalty that I built with all of my, my rowing teammates. And um, I actually have the honor to be the, the best man of the six seat um, this coming year. Hopefully we'll see with, with COVID, but. Mm -hmm. That's wow. excellent. I, I think I, I might be the same way, especially like thinking about my first couple of years of rowing. I learned to row as an adult. Um, so, uh, but I remember one or two races really, really clearly and the rest from the first maybe two, three, four years or like hanging out at the regattas and having drinks after. Um, yeah, so the friendships and all of that behind it. Yeah, I learned to row as a teenager at Oak Ridge in Tennessee on the Oak Ridge course, which some of you guys have, have raced on and or brought teams to or come with your colleges. And I don't really remember the friendships as much. I just remember that it was really hard and that it was a really um, challenging skill to learn. And, you know, flipping the pair you know, just, just, you know, why I love the pair so much. <laughs> and like just those coaches um, input. And I've always been a person who loves coaches. I've always formed really strong bonds with the coach. And I wanted to hear from Will, like as a coach, and I know you've coached for a lot of different levels, some of your like memorable sayings or your memorable like Will-isms um, that you've developed over the years to really motivate people or to really uh, challenge people. To explain rowing I mean it's a hard thing to explain right yeah it's a hard thing to explain and I mean I, th I think that's that's one of the reasons why I try to not explain it much and try to just put people in the position to experience it because I think that 
people can learn a lot better by by doing. And so that that might be a willism as much as anything. I'm not sure that I've coached long enough to really develop a repertoire of catchphrases, but um, definitely trying to like refocus people on what they're doing, not just on what they think is happening. Um, or, or what they, or what they imagine the feedback is going to be. Cause I think that people get so caught up in blade placement and, um, the kind of visual aesthetics of the sport that often we forget that it's just about moving, moving the boat closer to the finish line. Um, so I guess it, if anything, uh, if you, if you pulled rowers on, on Lake Whatcom here behind me from my, from my time there, they'd, they'd probably be irritated with me asking, but how did it feel? Uh, the one that comes to mind for me is it's not my own. Uh, it's, it's one that um, a mentor of mine like uses all the time. It's steady, steady wins the race. Um, and so, you know, it's just taking like a long, long-term approach to your training um, and then also I think on a day-to-day respect, you know, not getting too high, not getting too low, you know, obviously like appreciate when you're making progress or the wins that we have positive results, but also don't, you know, um, beat yourself up, self up too much if you're having a, a bad day or a bad week or something. Um, you know, you just have to, just to have to ride it and stay even keel. Something I tried to teach was that, that failure is part of the process. Um, cause I feel like a lot of times people kind of are frozen by the, the idea of failure or making a mistake on their stroke. Um, so I always try to help people learn and relax by reminding them that it's like, you have to make a mistake to improve. So mm. failure is part of the process is, would probably cover a lot of what I tried to teach and, um, kind of unrelated, but I had a former athlete text me the other day and let me know that he was getting into coaching. Um, which is a really proud coaching moment, right? And he was just asking, like, do you have any advice? And I think he was expecting technical advice, but I ended up writing this, like, really long (laughs) text message. And it was basically nothing was related to technical advice. A lot of it was, like, realize and treat them like people before athletes and just things like that um, in terms of, like, what are you going to do to impact this athlete in their life as opposed to like in the sport? Wow. We'd love to see that. If you want to share that with us, that's pretty sweet. We, uh, we are very invested in people becoming coaches who wouldn't normally think they could become coaches and uh, just really expanding that pipeline and Stacey network. You know, I love Joe, what, what you just said about steady wins the race, because, you know, we really believe in that meditative long view of rowing and of the community that we're in. So we are excited that you guys are work doing the work that you're doing and coming together, like bringing that all together. So Rachel, you have a question about that. You've answered this in pieces, but when did rowing move from being something you did for fitness and competition into something you wanted to center your professional lives around? I'm a coach by accident. I, I thought that I thought that I was going to row and, and compete and stuff for a lot longer than I did. Uh, I was I was a kinesiology major at Western, and I was doing an internship with the varsity track and field team. Um, I played on the club lacrosse team and was like the team meathead. So I would just like teach the other guys on the team how to lift. We didn't have a strength coach or anything like that. So I was in the weight room a lot and knew other rowers just through other things being on the on the college campus and started helping them out sort of one by one. Um, and then they said, Hey, this is really great. Do you want to come in the launch 
with us and like talk with the head coach and, and maybe work with the rest of the team. And so that was how I sort of came back into it. Um, I don't know that there was ever really like a, a moment where that, where that became a, a profession, but just sort of a gradual, a gradual growth in a good way. I think it, it, it started with my injury and it ended up being me wanting to help people. So I originally wanted to go back to school to become a physical therapist. And then when I went back to school, I met a professor who really impacted me. And he made me realize that I can do great things on uh, more of the coaching and, and performance side as opposed to having to go the physical therapy route. Not that that's a bad route, but that just ended up being the route that I chose. Um, and that led me to you know, start coaching and getting experience throwing side of things as well. And Joe, you talked about how you were away from it for a while and um, kind of came back to it. Yes. Yeah. So for me, during that, that time period when I was working, you know, professionally in, in business development marketing, like I started to do like a lot of reflection, soul searching and stuff. And when I step back and look at all of the places I ended up, I actually could directly connect it all to rowing. In high school, I ended up being blessed and fortunate enough to get a, a partial scholarship to GW. And then the freshman coach at GW ended up becoming the freshman coach at Syracuse. And he contacted myself and the captain of the team to come up to interview for the GA positions. And then the job that I had in marketing, which started off my professional career, came because one of the master's rowers in upstate New York pass my resume along. Like I didn't even actually directly apply for the job and it's just kind of continued to kind of go that way. And so I stepped back and was like, you know, all these things continue to line up to me. That's a pretty clear sign that, you know, rowing is, is providing a life for you. Right. Um, and it's, it's been very fulfilling. So that's why I keep, keep plugging along. Yeah. It's a great question though. This is a fun discussion because this is something that like Blake and Joe and I haven't, haven't talked about before even though we've been we've been working together for like five years now mm -hmm. uh, and it, it ties into what you said too about like getting more people to become coaches who wouldn't necessarily think that they would become coaches because i think co coaches are are grown not not born you know so very few people like set out to to become coaches but the three of us have all just taken the opportunities that have come along to get more involved with the sport rather than rather than necessarily like deliberately intentionally seeking those out on a planned progression yeah i think once upon a time i thought i was, wanted to be a teacher um and it never really went in that direction for me academically and then i came out of school and um kind of had stopped thinking about it for a little while and then i started rowing and within a couple of years i thought I think I'd like to coach because it allowed me this opportunity to teach without getting a teaching degree, without being in a classroom. Um, and like you were just saying, Joe, like one thing just tumbled into another and almost 20 years later, and now I've got this crazy thing going on with Tara, you know, study <laughs> network. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how that happens and how um, your connections through rowing, if you're open to saying yes, can lead you in really interesting places. And it also is a testament to the fact that we all weren't sort of damaged by our rowing histories, right? That the sport wasn't beaten out of us, for instance, or the sport wasn't, you know, uh, reframed into this sort of world that, that we didn't want to be a part of, you know, some, in some situations, rowing becomes a fraternity and some situations it becomes a social club. And then some situations it becomes a real deep team connection. And I think we all, 
came out of whatever our experiences were, my, myself included, as evangelists for the sport, like we all understand its transformative quality. And I, I became a coach because I was such an evangelist. I was recruiting people at coffee shops, you know, in the line to take learn to row. And then they were like, why don't you teach the learn to row? And I'm like, excellent. So it definitely was a great way to channel my passion for it and make happy rowers. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting a new narrative in rowing, and a couple of your fellow rower entrepreneurs make it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access, so join today at SteadyStateNetwork.com, on Instagram and Facebook at SteadyStateNetwork, and on Twitter at SteadyStateRow. So... Each of you have had Leo training or have currently Leo training, movement evolution and rowing stronger. And then which all have a similar sort of focus. And how did you, the, the three of you come together to make the science of rowing? I know, Will, you reached out to me last year when that was bubbling, really exciting. And then it was launched and, and we've been watching your progress. So how did that come together? Big picture, 2015, I started writing and... Uh, started writing for Row Perfect UK with Rebecca Caro. And then I think Blake, you and Rebecca had already been in touch. And so she said, oh, hey, you guys should meet and and do something together. Um, and then Joe, I can't actually remember how you got to be involved. So maybe you do. Uh, but but we started doing a podcast together, the three of us. Um, yeah, jump in here. I, I actually like looked this up this morning because I had a <laughs> feeling this might come up. Um, the first collaboration that I remember, and if this is inaccurate, we'll figure it out down the road, but we were writing um, articles for Row Perfect, and each of us did a contribution around injuries. So mine was low back, yours was rib, and Blake, do you remember what yours was? Yeah, I did, did kind of like the general injury prevention yeah. umbrella. Yeah, and that's that's how we started off. We were we writing, all started writing, and then we all yeah enjoyed yeah. the or realized that we enjoyed working together. Wanted to keep doing stuff. We we became the first uh, sub channel of the Rowing Chat podcast network. So we we created the Strength Coach Roundtable, uh, really just as a way to keep talking about strength training for rowing between the three of us. Uh, always thought that we'd be able to do a better job on like the scheduling and the regular episodes front, but as you two know well, uh, that that requires a lot of diligence and, and planning. So uh, we did like 18 episodes over, you know, the four and a half or five years that we that we were doing stuff, but it gave us a great opportunity to collaborate with people like Tara um, and and other folks from from the rowing world, um, as well as just keep kicking ideas around between the three of us. So then, uh, I was in grad school, sort of realized like the wealth of information um, in academic research, uh, which I'd previously been pretty ignorant to through through undergrad and through my early years of coaching. Um, after grad school, I wanted to give myself a reason to keep reading and keep writing about research. So I just started putting out like little 750 to 1000 word blurbs through my email list of here's a study that I read this week. And so I would do sort of two, two of those a month. Um, people liked them. It seemed like there was a market for it. Uh, Blake and Joe and I were sort of uh, not, not quite sure where the podcast was going to go as far as like becoming a regular thing. So then I, I pitched this to them as maybe the next, the next iteration of our, of our work as a trio um, to, to move to a regular content production um, around mobilizing rowing research into coach education and athlete training practices. And that's how Science of Rowing came to be. 
And Will, you um, very generously sort of shared with me the early concept around science of rowing, and I always really appreciated that because you know I'm going to be the knock, knock, knock about para and the knock, knock, knock about adaptive because we, you and I have had so many great conversations about the science of adaptive rowing and how it's not necessarily an other way of rowing. It's actually got a lot of data within that because it is so condensed, right? They're just rowing with their arms and shoulders. They're just getting con connection with arms and shoulders. And I've always appreciated that you've taken that as seriously as you have. So is there anything that has been surprising for the three of you in terms of what you've discovered about this data or what you've discovered about this work? And, and even related to that is, are you gonna run any of your own studies? Do you wanna run any of your own studies or, or have people do it for you? Like answer the question, right? Yeah, for right now, there's plenty to mobilize. And so that's where, that's where our whole focus is going right now is just taking, there's great research coming out every month too much for us to review everything in one month in rowing. And yet like so much of that doesn't actually get down into what coaches and rowers of all ages and levels are actually doing. Um, and yet there's a lot of, there's a lot of takeaways there. Um, as, as far as like adaptive specific Tara, one of the things we were talking about was like the, the impact of heart rate training with a spinal cord injury. Mm -hmm. So because, because blood flow is not circulating through the whole body, the way that it would be in, in a full body athlete, um, how does that affect like our training practices? Can we still rely on heart rate, uh, as, as an indicator of, of either recovery in terms of like heart rate variability or in terms of like training zones, we've sort of crafted this whole training approach around, around heart rate based training zones. Is it actually applicable to this relatively large chunk of rowers in the, in the adaptive impaired communities? And one, one of the studies that I covered actually in our sample edition was um, textured insoles for rowers. And now that you mention it, I wish that I had gone deeper into terms of how, how it could help even more communities. But what it is, is it's basically just a bumpy insole that you put into your shoe. And there's so much research that's, that's out there talking about how it can benefit uh, various populations, including people that don't have as much sensory feedback. So the article that I read and wrote about was specifically how it impacted rowing performance but it also just has so many health benefits because we're wearing gloves as as shoes um, and we don't get feedback to our feet anymore so i think i think a lot of what we touch on can be applied and and we certainly could you could use you to remind us to continue to do a better job applying it to all communities. I, I just think it's a fun thing about rowing is like there it's, it's such a big tent sport compared to many other sports that, that we can talk about how, how does this apply specifically to like youth rowers? Because there's people like Joe in fifth grade starting out rowing. And that's not necessarily the same as someone who starts as an adult or someone who starts in high school. There's collegiate, there's high performance, there's adaptive at, at all these different levels, indoor rowing, coastal rowing is now growing hugely. So um, there's, there's a lot of different people who are interested in the sport and a lot of different ways that we can take even the general principles from sports science and research and, and work to apply them better to specific populations. Yeah, and I think there's a there's actually questions like coming from the athletes themselves now. Like I think there's a relationship between an athlete and a coach where they just sort of take it at face value. The athlete's just like, oh, okay, that's just how you row, and oh, that doesn't really feel good in my body, but that's what I'm supposed to do, right? And that can apply to juniors all the way up to you know 90 year olds um, learning how to row or, or being rowers. 
And what's interesting now is that athletes are taking their training so much more seriously and asking these hard questions. So will that question about heart rate training for PR one or arms and shoulders athletes, for instance, that came from the athletes. They wanted to train better. They wanted to use technology that they read about. Oh, you should do heart rate training. And they're like, but my body doesn't work that way. I paralyzed from my diaphragm down or whatever the issue might be. Yeah. So I think that rowing as a culture is changing quite a bit that there's more rowers initiating these conversations. So are you finding that the people who are participating in the science of rowing are coaches or are rowers or kind of a hybrid of both? Do you know? Uh, we're pretty across the board. Um, we, we do definitely have have some coaches. Um, one, one of the populations that we really wanted to speak directly to was sort of the under-resourced coach or rower. I think sports science has so long been a, a pursuit of elite programs um, that actually have sports science professionals on their staff to, to go through and implement this stuff. Um, but one of the things we want to do is kind of level the playing field and break that barrier down of, of putting academic scientific research into plain language terms, add the graphics, add the videos, make it accessible, make it easy for people to implement into their training. So um, I think probably our two biggest groups right now are those um, coaches across across levels who don't necessarily have that on their on their staff or in their reach anyway. And then and then a lot of masters rowers too, um, who, who are interested in, in going especially if they're self-coached, going beyond just sort of like the traditionalist model and into like, but what do I actually do? Right. And, and how many people right now are self-coaching? I mean, I've had to be in a single. It's the year of the single, yep. right? But I think what you're talking about is that inclusive approach, which is the hot you know, word this year, especially. And to that end, what else are you guys doing around inclusion? We all just talked about our stories. And, and you mentioned that that's one of the things you talked about in your podcast. And we've obviously all been so strongly impacted by the sport of rowing. And I think it's rare to find a teammate that we know that hasn't been impacted in a positive way by the sport of rowing. You know, I, I read uh, A Most Beautiful Thing. I watched the documentary. What I actually realized this morning was that that was in the 1990s. So like 20 years ago was the first time that an all-black rowing team got together. If you look at the Oxford-Cambridge University boat race, that started in 1828. So like there's been traditionally white privileged communities that are benefiting from everything that we benefited from in the sport of rowing for years. And there's just so many non-traditional and uh, communities of color that haven't benefited. And I just think like, imagine, imagine if we personally weren't impacted by the sport of rowing, where, where would we be? And so what, what we did was we, we teamed up with uh, the George Bocock Rowing Foundation and a most beautiful thing, Inclusion Fund. Um, and we wanted to do a fundraiser uh, in November where we give away 100% of all new monthly memberships, um, uh, profit from the monthly memberships. Wow, uh, that's great. To the AMBT Inclusion Fund. Um, so we, we hope that like, sorry, we hope that playing the, the small part and actually giving back to this initiative will improve the sport of rowing and, and transform, transform a lot more lives than, um, than we're able to ourselves. So the a Most Beautiful Thing Inclusion Fund is a program of the Pocock Foundation, the George Pocock Rowing Foundation, which is here in Seattle, but serves a, a national uh, focus with its Road to the Future programs and ERG-ED, it's my understanding of that. 
And they teamed up with R. Shea Cooper and his book, uh, The Most, um, A Most Beautiful Thing, and which was also turned into a documentary and has gotten an enormous amount of coverage in this particular time, which is fantastic. I had movie tickets to go see it in the theater in March. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? And, and it's like, oh, that didn't happen. But look what he's done with it. And his, and his publicity team have done a great job. So how did you get in contact with Pocock Foundation? Like, how did that relationship happen? Because I think there's a lot of people with a lot of energy around doing something. And I love that you all made the call or did the email or, um, you know, made that happen. So how did that relationship start with Pocock Foundation? Joe was our connector there. So uh, we, we had kicked the idea around. We didn't want to do Black Friday for November. For our first year, we knew that like we wanted to do some sort of charity drive, make it about more than just a, a, com- a commercial thing. So uh, we, we kicked around for a while to like find what just the right uh, fundraising source was going to be. And then, and then Joe could fill us in on the rest. Yeah. So one of the things I'm very appreciative of working with Will and Blake is um, we, we really take a lot of time to try to make sure whatever we're doing, it, it, it's a good fit and it aligns with the vision and um, you know, the content that we want to put out. So, so Blake actually had come across the, the website and the AMBTI inclusion fund and passed it along to, to Will and I. Um, so we took a look at it. And as I was looking at the, the website page, um, Akil Abdullah is one of the uh, board members for the inclusion fund. So Akil is a GW alum. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple times. Um, he was a guest on my podcast over the last couple of years. So I reached out to him initially. And what's really cool is, you know, looking at who else is part of that board, there's other people that, you know, that I- I'm, I'm connected to. So um, I believe Pat- Patricia Edom, her son, Martin, was a Syracuse rower. So she's also on the board. It's, it's a really good fit, you know, for us. We have a personal connection there. Um, and then, you know, Will and I had also had the opportunity to see Arshea Cooper be the keynote speaker at the um, final Joy of Sculling conference last December. Back in December, which is, of course, a completely different world and the, and the kind of promo and talk that he was doing then, you know, ended up becoming something completely different. But yeah, I wanted to just read what was on the Pocock website about the fund so everybody can get a good idea of what we're talking about here. And I'm sure this will, you'll see this on your social media too. It says, we at the George Pocock Rowing Foundation believe that rowing transforms lives. Agreed, snap, 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 right? The GPRF and leaders in our sport have established a most beautiful thing inclusion fund to support education, scholarship, and mentorship programs to get more kids rowing on the water, focusing on non-traditional communities and communities of color where youth face barriers to participation in the sport. So right on, right on. So you're exactly what we wanted to support. It's it's getting, it's getting more, more kids, especially kids from diverse communities on the water, experiencing rowing, uh, hopefully into the sport beyond that, but at least reaping the immediate rewards of access. So give me the plug. If you join, if you join Science of Rowing, uh, 100% of the profits, which is to say everything except for like the, the small processing fee from payment uh, for your monthly membership goes directly to the A Most Beautiful Thing Inclusion Fund fundraiser. To during support, the month of November. To, to, yeah. to support those, the, those initiatives, yeah, for the month of November. So during November, which is going to be a super important month for us for a lot of reasons, um, you can get your game on and get your Science of Rowing membership. 
and do some good and support the most beautiful thing inclusion fund which is going to be just i think making such a huge difference and we hope you want to stick around after but members get access to all the back issues too the previously published issues so join join us for one month you get three issues for the price of one donate to a great cause and and we hope you want to stick around more in our show notes we're going to have all of these links and extras and even some bonus content so you can learn more about science of rowing and you can join uh, our patreon to become part of our community as well at saystatenetwork.com yeah we'd like to wrap up with a rapid fire uh q a so um we've never done this with three guests at once so we'll see how this goes are you want to kick it off sure okay port or starboard port starboard <laughs> Bouncy or strokesy? Stroke. 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 Come on, guys, it's rapid fire. Oh, we got three strokes. Uh, salt water or fresh water? Salt. Fresh. Fresh. Uh, head race or sprint race? Sprint. Sprint. Sprint, unless I'm in a single and then head. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm a sprint, sprint girl myself. Okay. Uh, favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Five more strokes to go. It's never true. It's a lie. I don't know if there's a good call because you're in so much pain towards the back end of the race. You're like, I just want it to be over. I always liked when they personally called out each individual to to motivate each other. Like, do do it for John or yeah. etc. Yeah, I love that when they're like, ten for the bow four. You know for some reason that gets you so excited like you weren't excited before you're like it's my turn <laughs> i know i love that <laughs> okay uh one more uh, rachel yeah uni suit or uh tank and trow tank and trow unisuit it's rowers it's what we do i i uh, wrestled and played water polo so i was born for the spandex <laughs> uh tank and trow and then uh, coffee before or after? Coffee always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I never, I never drink coffee, so. Awesome. You can join our, our tea club. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, all three of you, for coming on the show. And uh, we're excited to put this together and get this out for the month of November. Uh, we'll, it'll be out, obviously, in enough time for people to uh, become subscribers to The Science of Rowing. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning. I know you got to get going in just a few minutes, but um, we were really looking forward to talking with you and digging into your histories and also being able to help uh, share the good work that you're doing and the opportunity uh, for folks to join uh, you in November and help another cause. Thanks so much thank for having us. So this has been fun. Us. It's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related things that happened to them. Let's hear from a few folks. Hi, I'm Rod Sternagel, a current unaffiliated rower, but a member of Sound Rowers and Paddlers, an open water competitive group. My good rowing experience for the week started with my friend, Jana, driving two hours to join me for an all-day row on Puget Sound in Olympia, as she'd been doing every two weeks since early June. Despite rowing around 250 miles during that time, Jenna has seen very little marine life. After a couple of hours of rowing with sunny skies, a comfortable cool temperature, and flat water, I remarked, it does not get any better than this. My mistake. Within minutes, someone yelled from the shore to tell us a whale was nearby. We stopped and Jenna immediately spotted it. 
we watch the gray whale come to the surface every few minutes, take two or three breaths, and head back down again. I pulled my camera out to grab a little video footage as the whale surfaced again, headed towards Jana, and dove just before reaching her. After all of those miles on the road and on the water, she was finally rewarded with the biggest sea life she could imagine. Hi, I'm Valentine Blacking, or Val Blacking. Um, my club is the Hainensburg Rowing Club. I'm the founder of this club. And, and my best part of rowing this week is surely taking out my brand new skull for its second row, um, which was a phenomenal experience. Uh, my first skull uh, was given to me in two pieces, and a friend of mine who builds aircraft helped me put it back together again um, so I've been I've been rowing my first skull for about 10 years and this new skull that I've just bought is, is, is just another experience altogether it handles the waves because we row in a mountainous area so there's a lot of wind uh, and it cuts through the waves it, it rides above the waves um, and uh, and goes very fast which I haven't experienced before. So that was certainly the best part of my rowing week. And I look forward to another such a row tomorrow morning, early tomorrow morning. Hi, this is Jen Huffman, and I row with College Club in Seattle, Washington. The best part of my rowing week was actually a couple of weeks ago since I haven't been on the water recently, but hopefully it's still okay to share. If you row in the Pacific Northwest, you've probably heard of Head of the Lake. It's the biggest head race on the West Coast. Usually it's held the first weekend in November and even though the regatta was canceled due to COVID this year, a bunch of members of the rowing community put out buoys marking the standard course and we had a great timed scrimmage in singles. It was really fun to get out and race against other people in person, navigating a course and passing people in blinding sunlight at 7.30 in the morning. We don't get to do that very often anymore. I hope you all get to do something you enjoy this week. Thanks. Don't forget, you can add your voice to this segment. Just record your own voice on your phone to share the best part of your rowing week. Send the audio to us anytime at bestpart@steadystatenetwork.com. Every episode, we follow up our interviews with even more information for you. Check out images and links to the businesses, clubs, and awesome people we mention at steadystatepodcast.com. In two, let it run. One, two, let it run. Let it run.